Or do we know that we're the church every day, Monday to Sunday, from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep, as a mom, as a dad, as a businessman, um, as a teacher, as a student, we're the church. We're called to a mission. We're called to be awake. We're called to be alive. We're called to be active with what God is busy doing. And so we don't have to live in a persecuted nation to be awake. I just want to clarify that before you all, I know you're going to book your tickets to Iran. You don't have to do that. But we do need to be actively aligning our will and participably participating sorry, in what God is busy doing. And so is the church asleep? I want us to pray um, before we go to the word. So Father, thank you. Um, just for the privilege of being able to read your word together in South Africa where we are free to be Christians. And this morning, God, I want to ask you, will you come and speak to each and every single one of us in this room, including myself, Lord? And will you come and show us, God, if there is any area in our life, in our spirituality, in our relationship with you that has gotten sleepy or has fallen asleep? And Lord, will you come and just blow your spirit through this place um, and wake us up, God, to what you're busy doing and to your purposes, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read from Matthew 26, um, verses 36 to 54. And just to give you a bit of context, Jesus is with his disciples here. They've just come from the Last Supper. They have just been told by Jesus that Judas is going to betray Jesus, and Judas has run off to do what he's going to go do. And they have now been told that tonight is the night he's going to be arrested and the crucifixion is coming. And so from this place, they're going to go and prepare for this moment. So you can pick up with me in verses 36. Excuse me. So Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy and so leaving them again he went away and he prayed for the third time saying the same words i've pulled in a verse from luke here just want to say i'm not crooking but luke's account in verse 43 says after he had prayed there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him i think that's important for us this morning verse 45 then he came to the disciples and said to them sleep and take your rest later on See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Okay, so we see here, let's pause for a moment. We see here that Jesus is fully aware of what is about to happen in this moment. 
And he's also fully aware of what is about to happen to the disciples as a result of what is going to happen to him in this moment. And so he tries to tell them and he tries to prepare them, but they don't get it. They're, they're unaware. They're not completely with Jesus and what he means. And they're not grasping the gravity of what is about to happen on this moment. And so they have two different approaches. The first approach is Jesus. So in his state of being fully man, so we know God is, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He was, he experienced the same temptations. He, he was faced with the same things we're faced with. He wasn't immune to this moment. Like, oh, I'm God, I'll, I'll just quickly do it. He had to go through it. And so this moment was a big one for him. And the cup that he was about to drink was not just the cup of physical torture or physical suffering, but it was the cup of becoming sin for us. So in this moment, he was about to be separated from his father. In this moment, he was about to become sinful. Well, not sinful, sin. Yes, you know what I mean. In this moment, he was about to carry the weight of our sin on him. And it was huge. And so, yes, he experienced sorrow and he experienced distress. What did he do with it? He went to God. He went and prayed and he told the disciples to pray as well. He goes and he says, Father, if it's possible, in other words, if there's any other way that this that you want to do can be done, let it pass from me, but not my will, yours, if it's possible. The second time he goes back, he prays, he says, if it can't be done any other way, your will, not mine. And we don't have a recorded response of what God's um, response to his son was in this moment. But it's so interesting to note the two different prayers. The one is if it's possible and the other one is if it's not possible. Jesus knows that this is the will of the father. He knows that this is God's plan. This is God's purpose. And yes, it's going to be hard, but he has to go through with it. And he chooses to do that. It's important that we know that he chooses to do that. And so it's as if Jesus's prayer is more about aligning his heart with what God is saying and doing than it is about getting God to say, okay, sure, we'll figure out another way. And so although he prays and asks if it's possible, he's very, very ready to say, I'll do it. I'm in, I'm on board. And the reason I pulled that scripture from Luke is that even though the answer from God was no, <laughs> he received strength from heaven to go through with the plans of God. He was empowered by heaven. He didn't have to do it in his own strength. And so friends, I want us to note something just as a side note for our own lives when we speak about being the church. Just because things get hard doesn't mean it's not God's will. It's not always God's will. Sometimes we can have the idea that this is hard, so obviously it's not God. He can't be in it. And sometimes we think that we're excused from being the church because it's hard or it's, we're suffering. Um, we think that we don't have to be Christians all the time. We, we have seasons where we don't have to follow Jesus because it's hard. And if we had to apply that to the church in Iran, then they, they would never have to share the gospel. Because if they share the gospel, they could suffer for it. And so if it means suffering is not from God and we don't have to go through with it, then we'll never be the church on a mission. And so there are times in our lives where, thank the Lord, we do not have to go to the cross for our own sin. 
But there are times in our lives where God asks us to endure difficult situations, tough moments, hard things in our lives. And those are very real, friends. Jesus was sorrowful, but he went to God and he prayed and he aligned his heart with what God was busy doing. And so we're never excused from being the church. The result of Jesus's approach was that he was aligned to God's will. He was prepared for what was about to happen and he was empowered to go through it. The disciples approach on the other hand was, well, can say it in a word, sleeping. They were asleep. Jesus had told them, watch and pray. And he didn't tell them, watch and pray because I'm sorrowful and I need your support. Jesus knew what the disciples were about to go through and he tells them, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Your spirit might be willing. You want to stand by me, great, but your flesh is weak. And so they too should have been seeking God's face, praying, asking God for help, asking God to align their hearts, but instead they were sleeping. And the result was that they were not prepared. They were not aligned and they were not strengthened for what was to come next. So let's pick up in verses 47 to see what comes next. So while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Listen to this. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus, we know that this is Peter from Luke's account. Um, Peter stretched out his hand, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off, of his, cut off his ear. There's some nice gory details for the boys. The men, I was talking about the one boy I can see, excuse me. Um, then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And after this, the disciples scattered just as Jesus said they would. So we see from this passage, passage we see that Jesus who just a few minutes ago was sorrowful and troubled we see he is ready he's like friend do what you need to do he's not fighting this moment he's not putting up a fight he's not resisting he's there he's submitted he's ready take me I'll go the disciples on the other hand are drawing swords and trying to fight these men and you see, their response to this moment is totally different to Jesus's response because their approach to this moment was totally different to Jesus's approach. They attempt to protect Jesus, which sounds really great. I think we will all be like, yeah, let's protect Jesus. But in this moment, what they were really doing was opposing the will of God. You see, God is sovereign. God is able to make people and times and places and events work for his kingdom, for his glory, for his purposes. He had orchestrated these men to come and arrest Jesus on this night so that we sitting in this room can be saved. He knew what he was doing. He was not caught by surprise. 
But the disciples had no idea. And as a result, they were fighting the wrong enemy. Friends, how many of us fight the wrong enemy? (laughs) Because we have no idea what's going on. Because we haven't watched and prayed. We're busy fighting our husbands or our wives or our children or our bosses or the government or whoever else we fight instead of getting on our knees and saying, God, what are you doing here? How do I align my heart here? And yes, friends, I'm not saying we shouldn't fight certain fights, but let's just make sure we're fighting the right one. Let's get on board with what God is doing. Jesus was fighting the right fight. Friends, I want us to be aware that when I ask the question, are we awake? I'm not asking us, do we love Jesus? I'm not asking us, are we saved? I'm not asking us, have you made a decision to make Jesus Lord of your life? The disciples who were busy opposing God's will were the three closest disciples to Jesus. They were the ones he called with them to watch and pray. They were the ones that had been with him on his journey that he had spent the most time with. They were the ones that loved him. They were in his presence. They, They were for him. They were fighting for him, but they were opposing his will. And so my question is not, do you love Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you know Jesus? My question is, do you know what God's busy with in your life, in this generation, in this church, in this community, in this time, for this hour? And are you on board? Or are you sleeping? So Jesus corrects his disciples in this moment. He tells them, guys, I've got the the power of heaven behind me. If I needed help here, I'd ask my father and he'd send me 12 legions of angels. Jesus is not at the mercy of these men. Jesus is fully aware of the power of heaven that is behind him. But Jesus is choosing to fight a different fight. Jesus is choosing to not use his power for his benefits and for his protection and for his life. And he's using to use his power to lay down his life, to pay the price on the cross so that you and I, can be saved he's not powerless and it's really important that we know that Jesus never went to the cross because he had to obey the father he went to the cross because he chose to be on board with what God was doing because he loves us he loves us he loved the people that were standing in front of him arresting him in that moment he was fighting a different fight he says to his disciples How would the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? He knew what his God was busy doing. There's a commentator, Larry W. Hurtado, it's a very fancy name, that says, The two motifs that dominate this passage are Christ's obedience to God and his disciples' continued failure to sense how important this moment was. Friends, how often do we fail to see how important the moments in our lives are? The times in our lives are. The fights that we're busy fighting in our lives are. The way we raise our children. The way we treat our spouses. The way we go to work and do our jobs. Or has that just become like, that's what we do. As part of our everyday routine, we get up, we go to work, we drop the kids at school, we go make some money, we come back, we pay the bills, we go on holidays when we can, and then we start from scratch again. And you know, none of us do it necessarily on purpose, and 
I really want to highlight this. The disciples had not rejected God in this moment and decided to oppose his will. They just hadn't gone and aligned with God in this moment. And so they were stuck in this middle ground of being asleep. Are we asleep, church? If I had to ask you this morning, and I really hope that as I've been talking, you have already been doing this, but if you had to examine your life, and there are so many areas, I can't list them all. But if you had to examine your life this morning, the way you, the way you go to work, the way you be a mom and dad, the way you spend your money, the way that you approach God every day with the times that you live in, the place that you live in. Friends, we live in South Africa. We live here maybe because God decided that's where he wants us to live. I'm not saying anything about anyone who's moving. I'm just saying, let's see the significance in things. Let's see, God, you gave me one child named Jonathan for a reason. What is it that you want me to align with as his mom to do what I need to do to be in line with your will? What are the things that God has put in your hand? What is the things that God has put in our community as this church? What are the things that God has called us as a church in South Africa to? Do we know? The bigger question is, are we asking? Are we continually seeking his face and saying, God, I'm your church. I'm your hands and feet. I will do what you ask me to do. I will be what you ask me to be. I'm on board. I'm not asleep. They didn't reject him, but they were not aligned. And so let us not be found in that place, friends. Let us be saying, God, your will, not mine, in the way that we live out the mission. Friends, we speak about discipleship and lordship and going on missions all the time. Are you tired of it? Because it's what God calls us to. It's what he says to us. Go be my church. Be my hands and feet. Go preach the gospel. Go care for the poor. Go look after the orphans. Go on mission. Go tell Europe they need to start believing again. We've been called to a mission. We are the church. And is it possible that because of our comfort, because of our freedom, because of our familiarity with this amazing God, that we could have fallen asleep? So, these same sleepy disciples, because I feel like I need to redeem them <laughs> just a little. After Jesus had died, after he was resurrected, after he had gone back to heaven, they received a mission from their Lord. And that mission was go and make disciples of all nations. But they didn't suddenly wake up. What they did was they obeyed Jesus. They heard the mission and they waited for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came on them, they were awake. <laughs> They lived their lives completely surrendered to God. They lived their lives in taking the gospel to the world and they lived their lives to the point of death. Friends, we can sit here and go, yeah, maybe I should wake up this morning, but we cannot do it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. We need him to come and revive us in the areas that we may have fallen asleep. We need him to come and breathe his spirit in on those areas where we may have gone, sure, I don't know if that's for me anymore. Maybe this faith is, I don't know, it's too hard work. We can't do it without him. We need him. I had a laptop. I know this is so random, but I thought of it this morning. I had a laptop. I have a laptop that is new to me, and it's really silly 
because it turns on and then after 15 minutes of not being at your desk, it turns off and then I cannot get it to turn on again. And it is very frustrating. And the problem is that it hasn't just like gone power off. It's still on, it's still functioning, it's still there, but I can press every button there is to press and it doesn't wake up. And that feeling of frustration, thankfully, I don't know if God ever shares that, but that feeling of frustration, this thing is alive and it's working and it's powered up, but it's doing nothing. Friends, we are called to do something. We are called to not be those laptops that just are. We're in Jesus, but we're not doing anything with Jesus. And a friend of mine came, a very clever, clever friend who just taught me how to press one little button and my laptop wakes up and it's so phenomenal. And I feel like this morning the Holy Spirit is saying, do you give me permission to press your button? Can I come and wake you up? It's going to come at a cost. It's going to be expensive. It might not always be fun. You might have to lay down your will and say, not mine, God, but yours. But does he have your permission this morning to come and press your button and say, wake up, church. Wake up, church. I love you. I need you. We're on this mission together. Wake up, church. So yes, the Holy Spirit wants to do that, but he needs a decision from us. He needs us to say, yep, God, I've been sleeping in this area of my life. And I I really believe it's going to look different for each one of us. For some of us, it might be in our actual relationship with God, where we feel like we don't have one anymore. And he's saying, wake up, my child. Wake up. I love you. I desire a close, intimate relationship with you. And for others of us, maybe we we just like, I don't have any energy to do anything more than what's expected of me on a daily basis in my life. And he wants to come and say, wake up, church. There's more. And so I want to ask you to close your eyes and just take a second. Just take a second and ask the Holy Spirit, is there an area in my life where I need to wake up? There's no condemnation. It's just the question, can I come and wake you up this morning?